0: If you grew up with an abusive or neglectful parent, and especially if you were the oldest child, you may have learned to dance around and do everything in your power to make your mom not be sad, including erasing your feelings and needs so that you could pour all your energy into that parent. People who have done this often have a hard time getting perspective on it and realizing that no parent should be draining the life out of a child so that they can get their so-called needs met the parents needs are never met this way of course and worse the child risks by not really being seen as the child they are they don't develop their full sense of self that can happen my letter today is from a man i'll call michael and he writes hi anna I was raised in a fundamentalist religion, and the pressure for mothers to stay at home, dedicate everything to creating perfect, obedient, faithful children and homes that are quote sanctuaries didn't combine well with my mom's own CPTSD that stemmed from her abusive father and severely disconnected mother. All right. I've got my fairy pencil. I'm going to be circling things I want to come back to. This is a longer than usual letter. I felt like it was necessary to read the whole thing. So stay with me. I'm going to circle what, what I want to come back to. And after we go through one time and see what's going on with Michael, I'll, I'll talk about what I see there and see if I can help. Okay. I spent most of my life thinking I was an unemotional, stable, consistent person. It's something my ex-wife said she loved about me, but I know now that I'm a super feeler. <laughs> I like that. A super feeler that had those feelings literally beaten out of me. As a child, I felt things in a big way, joy, sadness, anger, you name it. But my mom, with all the pressures and trauma and pent-up desires she had, simply couldn't handle it. She'd scream, hit me, and literally lock me in my room for long enough that I'd start to panic and wonder if I'd ever get out again. And it was all done with a veneer of religiosity. Spare the rod and spoil the child. I'm proud of how far my mom came between me and my younger siblings. She always treated me differently than my siblings, Always, almost coddling me, even as an adult, and I'm certain there's a lot of guilt behind that. It should come as no surprise that I secretly stopped believing in anything religious around the age of 15, but as is the case with so many fundamentalist religions, the social pressure to conform is intense. So I continued to go through the motions until my 30s, that time included a a mission to brazil a much too young marriage in which i didn't feel i could be authentic and in which every want and need i had was steamrolled by my wife and the birth of three children and the loss of of all but one of my friendships my wife took my time with them personally but didn't see her time cultivating relationships with her friends as a problem okay so all right And and then I had constant fear that I'd be found out, so I didn't stand up for anything. I don't want children, but I went ahead with it, oh, because she did. We lived where she wanted, decorated the way she wanted, vacationed where she wanted, etc. And then my fear of being found out became a reality during a very stressful time at work when I returned to my office to find an email from my wife with the subject line, I read your journal. Ugh. I had written in my journal that I didn't believe any of it just in case one of my kids needed that in the future. I wanted there to be a record of what I really thought and felt. But I couldn't feel anger for that violation of privacy because all I could feel was terror that I'd be ostracized, that my wife would take our kids and I'd be viewed as some horrible monster by the wider community. I talked it back. I said I'd keep going through the motions to keep us all together. I kept deferring everything to her, except when she'd spend money we didn't have. That's the only time we'd argue. I encouraged my wife to go back to school. I tried to get her to go back in large part because supporting a family single-handedly was taking its toll on me. I was stressed, and I spent nothing on myself. It never seemed like enough for my wife. Eventually, she did go back to school, and shortly thereafter, I was diagnosed with a debilitating chronic illness. My work was accommodating and allowed me to work from home and I admit I, I was unpleasant company. I felt like my future had been stolen from me and I was bitter, but more than that, I was afraid. My wife vanished uh, from most aspects of my life. She'd drive off first thing in the morning and leave me to work, get kids from school, help them with homework, make dinner, spend time with them, clean up, take care of our diabetic daughter, etc. And when she was home, she'd be locked away in the bedroom, quote, working on things. I was terrified that she was leaving me, that I'd be sick and alone. I wish I'd had the tools and confidence to ask her what was going on, to tell her how I felt, but I didn't. My CPTSD brain just told me to do everything I could to keep things going. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't even be upright for more than 20 minutes before symptoms and pain forced me to get back to bed. I didn't sleep at night because I was in pain and because I was the diabetes caregiver and we couldn't afford a glucose monitor. Couldn't afford a glucose monitor. So I'd be up checking blood sugar and giving snacks and insulin multiple times a night and my health kept declining because of it. My wife was never home. Sometimes she'd be gone until the wee hours of the morning and wouldn't reply to texts or answer calls. I had no idea where she was and when I'd ask, I'd be met with accusations of being controlling and told she was, quote, with a study group or working on a project. She left the religion we were in but, but didn't tell me she was done. Instead, she let me continue to keep my promise to go through the motions and get the kids ready and take them to church for months, making an excuse to stay home alone before she finally confessed she was done too. My feelings for her slowly diminished until one night our daughter needed insulin. It was one o'clock and my wife was who knows where. I couldn't see properly and my hands were shaking because my symptoms were so bad. And all I could do was repeatedly stab myself with the syringe while trying to draw up insulin because I was in such sorry shape. I threw the syringe across the kitchen and collapsed, sobbing to the floor. After what felt like forever, I stood up, dried my tears, got a new syringe, and decided I just needed to not care where my wife was or what she was doing. I had to emotionally let her go to stop feeling the pain of abandonment. I managed to give my daughter insulin and went to bed, but I was still terrified of being sick and alone, so I didn't confront my wife nor end the relationship. This is getting too long again, but eventually, I connected with a woman I'd sort of known in high school. She reached out because she had a lot of the same symptoms as me and had questions about one of her kids who was clearly showing signs of being diabetic. I coached her through those frightening and stressful early days of having a diabetic child, and we talked every day to figure out insulin and carb doses and ratios and to provide encouragement. As she found her way around diabetes care, I expected our conversations to become less frequent, but instead they switched to talking about all sorts of other things. It was the first time I felt like I'd been able to truly be my authentic self with anyone because there was no romantic interest. We were both married, and there was no pressure for me to pretend to be anything other than who I truly was. We talked about our childhood traumas, religion, parenthood, music, everything, and she started encouraging me to take charge of my health. She gave me confidence that I could do and be more, and I did. It was agonizingly painful, but I worked with a physical therapist and managed to get to the point that I could do almost everything I needed and wanted. I still have bad days, but this friend was a literal lifesaver. Things sometimes got flirtatious on both our parts, but we did real things back every time. I could tell she was dissatisfied in her relationship, and she confided she didn't believe in our once-shared religion anymore either. <laughs> I was going around. But it wasn't my place to be a romantic partner when we were both married, even though it was clear we both had feelings for each other, even if it was a trauma bond. Actually... That's not quite the right word for it but i'll explain later we still talked but it was clear that things needed to cool so after a year or so it became less frequent and less personal as my health improved she felt hurt that i wasn't just all in again and she started once again going through my personal things, my social media, trying to get into accounts, et cetera, and she decided it must be the fault of the woman I'd reconnected with. She confronted me, and I was embarrassed that things had gotten flirtatious, but I told her the truth. My friend had done what I expected my wife to do, see me through the most difficult time of my life despite crossing the flirtation line. It had never gone beyond that. My wife sent a scathing, threatening message to my friend and we stopped talking altogether because she was terrified an unfounded accusation might make it to her husband or other family members. My wife and I spent two years in couples therapy and I started seeing my own therapist so much made sense to me and i was relieved to find my relationship with money the only source of our direct confrontation in our marriage was healthy after years of being told i was controlling and tight-fisted i learned that what i'd been seeking since i was a child was safety but with one exception had never felt like i could be my authentic self with anyone so i was sabotaging myself we worked on communication (laughs) yeah There it is. We worked on communication and my wife seemed shocked the therapist focused on her behavior more than mine. I'd never been able to express wants or needs and now we were, able, we were being told to try it. It was fine in the therapist's office, but at home, if I tried it, I'd be met with accusations of not loving my wife or only wanting to be with my now absent friend or being mean or greedy two years after starting couples therapy on our 15th anniversary my wife messaged me from another room in the house to say she didn't want to do anything to celebrate because she thought my newfound ability to express my needs was a sign that I was just going to leave her I went downstairs to talk to her and after hours of tearful conversation we decided it was time to split She couldn't trust my intentions, and she was right about me not loving her. I was trying to love her, but I didn't anymore. There was far too much hurt. I canceled the flowers and the dinner reservation, ah, and we started working with our therapist to figure out how to navigate this with our kids. Two years later, splitting was the best thing I've ever done for myself, and my older two kids have both confided they can see how much better things are, even though changing houses every week is hard. I'm renting the basement apartment from my parents, Uh (laughs) uh-oh, which I loathe, but it's affordable and nice to have a place that can expand to the full basement to provide spaces for the kids when they're here. I've started my own daily practice and have found a great deal of peace in non-religious Zen Buddhism, and I'm currently fixing up the house we shared that she's still in, Uh uh-oh, to get it on the market so we can split the equity and fully separate our finances and assets. I do sometimes feel like a pushover. She's getting $2 of every $3 we collectively make. I gave her my whole tax return this year to help her cover what she owes etc. I've come to terms with the possibility of being single in perpetuity and I have learned to turn my fear of being alone into a love and appreciation of my solo time. I do get lonely still but I do have my kids every other week and that's both intense and a blessing. I set up some dating profiles a year ago but recently deleted them both because I wasn't having any luck just a couple of catfish and a few half-hearted conversations in all that time and felt like I was looking for somebody so I I wouldn't be lonely rather than looking for a true partner i eventually decided to be vulnerable and wrote a post on facebook apologizing to old friends for my absence and basically saying that i wanted needed wanted and needed more in-person friendships the response was painful two people replied one a realtor wanted to get together and talk opportunities <laughs> oh god the other was a woman i'd gone to high school with who had expressed romantic feelings but who was too unstable for somebody like me if i shared her feelings i feel like i need to rebuild my circle of friends before i'll be ready to get back into dating but i'll be 40 this year and i have no idea how somebody my age does that while i'm doing better health wise the spoon theory of chronic illness is real And it's hard for me to commit to things, especially if they're physical, like hiking, helping people to move, etc. And I find myself sinking back into chronic illness and despair when I have to cancel. My best friend and I are still in touch, but he lives almost two hours away. And his wife left him a few years ago with two young special needs kids, and he was diagnosed with MS shortly after. Gosh. So I find myself supporting and helping him instead of asking for support in return. Any advice you can give on where to go from here would be greatly appreciated. I feel like I made so much progress the last few years, but I feel like I'm stuck again and I don't know how to proceed from here. Thank you so much, Michael. Okay, wow, I read the whole letter because I was so moved by your story that you know that culminated on that kitchen floor of giving up and throwing that syringe of insulin and... Oh my gosh! I'm so glad you picked yourself up again. I'm so glad you're out of that sick relationship, um, and I have some thoughts for you, Michael. So, uh, you give me this background that you had um, an abusive father and a severely disconnected mother, and I'm just going to call you on it. Is it really necessary for you to live with your parents? Because you got out of the you got out of the. F- frying pan from leaving home as a youngster and then into the fire with your wife now you went back into the frying pan and i just think i'm going to tell you like like sneak preview where this is going i see you as a person who has lost his power and you are not able to stand up and define your own boundaries and you're telling me you can't really remember who you are You've been in in an emotionally abusive relationship for most of your life. And if it wasn't your parents, it was your wife. And one thing that I know about that from experience is that it really separates you from other people because everything is a lie. And this... um, I'm guessing what religion this is it doesn't really matter what it is but the fact that you and basically everyone you know was terrified to be honest about where you were that you weren't into it anymore but the terror of being you know exiled from your community from losing all your friends has held everybody in place to live a lie and that is so tragic and I'm really glad you're out I think that sometimes healing It's a zigzaggy line, and it looks very messy when the old thing breaks apart, and it seems like the new thing will never happen. Now, you didn't tell me what your chronic illness is, but, and so I don't really know, but I know that so many of us, when we're living, In a lie, when we're living in emotional abuse, when we're cut off from other people and unfulfilled, when we're tolerating horrible things just so that we don't get abandoned, we are so susceptible to somaticize the emotional pain that we're going through into physical ailments. And so, you know, I'm not saying everything's in our heads, but sometimes if all that trauma that we were carrying, it weakens our resistance to things like autoimmune diseases, heart disease, cancer, um, you know, chronic pain, all of those things are highly correlated with trauma and so sometimes when you heal the trauma it creates enough healing in your body, enough spoons in that spoon theory, you know, they stack up and things get a little better and you start to be able to heal. I was so delighted to hear that with the help of one friend you were able to get some improvement and take positive steps on your own behalf. So um, I just thought there was still telling language here. You masqueraded as a kid, as an unemotional, stable, consistent person, but actually you were a super feeler. And I love that word. You were a super feeler and are, you know, people people remain their true selves. You have feelings in a big way, joy, sadness, anger. And, you know, you you felt like you couldn't do it because of your mom you couldn't express yourself it was all about her and then she punished you and oh my gosh you know what a mind f all of that is i'm so sorry this happened to you it's not your fault but there's this phenomenon so first i want to tell you about this book michael and for anybody watching there's a book that i really admire i think it's helped a lot of men and it's called no more mr nice guy it's by robert glover and it's uh, an incredibly astute detailed book about what it's like when a man has found his coping mechanism in trying to make women happy at all costs And how alone and um, sort of um, emasculated and unhappy and stuck and sick and sad and angry that that can lead a person to be so it's a really powerful book I really encourage you to check it out and it was recommended to me by a young man in my life who thought that I would want to know about this for men and I bring it up often no more mr. nice guy and there's this concept that the author has there of um, uh, a symptom of being a nice guy in a bad way is that you're monogamous with your mother. So, this thing where you're proud of her that she was nicer to other people after you, but then she coddled you. She coddled you and she had guilt and you stopped believing and you pretended you were religious for her sake. It's like the two of you had this, um, you know, maybe well motivated, but very sick dynamic of. Abuse and not being yourself, and then you got pushed into a much too young marriage and you had kids for your wife, you kind of went right to this the next woman who ran your life and who ran you with anger every time you deviated from her wishes. We're going to have kids. You didn't want them, but she did. You had to live where she wanted, decorate the way she wanted, vacation where she wanted. And at a certain point, you know, I will sort of respond to a person you're 40 years old okay so you're old enough now um, to stand up to somebody i totally understand trauma wounds that you're working on it you're trying but i'm just saying like it is in your power right now to never again let somebody dominate your life like that we all compromise with partners about things but that means two ways right and having kids is way too big a thing to do when you didn't want to do it And uh, that is something that people need to be on the same page. So you kind of got coerced into marriage, coerced into being some person you're not. And then she just sets about this emotional abuse. I read your journal. She busts you, no longer being religious. Turns out she's not religious and lying to you. She's just lays all this stuff on you about your female friend, your emotional affair, basically, which, you know, obviously is wrong in marriage, but also so understandable in the situation you were in that you would have a friend. I'm glad you had a friend, honestly. It's amazing that you didn't cross the line, with it. But what's interesting is how angry and. Uh, and scared it made her when her staying out till the wee hours you'd have to really like run a truck over me to convince me she wasn't having an affair like the 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 full-on affair not just the emotional kind it sounds like there were lies and lies upon lies under the carpet at your house i'm so glad you're out of that house so yeah she got very distant when she started working she started her own thing and i know if she wrote me i would have sympathy too she got pushed into this life too that she didn't have a chance to really form for herself. She was doing the script and she was pretty angry about it and she took it out on you. And I'm sorry about the, how sick your daughter has been and how hard that is and not being able to afford the glucose monitor, my gosh. I'm so sorry, having to get up all night with your chronic disease and being on your own. And I've. You know, I just empathize a lot because I've been on the kitchen floor, so to speak. I've been in the bathtub in the middle of the night in the crying and the, you know, being so alone with something overwhelmingly hard to deal with and scary and life-threatening. And um, some of us come through the other side and we have a strength and a wisdom to give. But one of the things, one of the sort of bargains that we have to make if this is going to become strength is we must never again accept abuse we we have to like draw the line on no longer lying about who we are let the chips fall where they may and it sounds like you have you're practicing your own spirituality now you're pursuing healing that's right you know i you've been out for two years and two years is a good healthy time to be working on yourself and getting life together but here's what i notice, michael Here's what I notice. You're living with your parents, you're giving your wife most of the money. You gave her your tax return. I'm just wondering why are you guys not legally separated so that your money is yours and her money is hers with a legal agreement for how the kids are to be supported and cared for. I'm wondering about that because as a divorced parent myself, I know how vulnerable the that I, a, a parent is when the, when there's not a clear divorce agreement in place and custody agreement in place. Like anything can happen. And this thing where you um, just kind of like pour your life out for the sake of some angry woman, I just can't help but notice that you're doing it again. And you don't like living with your parents and sure it's affordable, but is it not time to stand up on your feet? Many, many, many divorced dads with kids have, you know, worked, they have an apartment, it may not be the nicest apartment, but they have an apartment and there's a decency and a goodness to the energy, like a wholesomeness to the energy because nobody but nobody is controlling you or running your life. You are free to blossom and evolve as the person you truly are, you know, the beautiful person that you are without the abuse. So it's bumpy. And i know (laughs) there's transition times but may i encourage you to get your own place not under the umbrella of any of the people who have ever abused you getting abused in the past like you know it really is a miracle how we figure out how to survive anyway and I am not an advocate that everybody has to cut off contact, but I do think that remaining dependent, entangled, and, and also um, hemorrhaging our resources unfairly, you know, more than, more than is necessary to the abuser is a symptom. It's a symptom. And it's, a, it's, it's amazing what you can do when you take your all of your energy, all that energy you have, That like money is energy, right? Your physical powers are energy to heal your own body, to heal your own life, to heal your own family, which is you and your children. And yeah, they have a relationship with their mom, but you have a family and th- this is where your energy is needed. And so I hear this, there's this weird, like, I can just see it. It's, it happens over and over again in your story where you feel like, you have to do everything that you're not entitled to just be an equal among equals and hold your ground and have your money and say no and let women get angry if they must right it's actually okay it's actually okay because you're free you're free now you're free to be yourself so i hear there's money problems here you say your relationship to money is sound and i'm glad to hear that because always after a divorce with kids like that's so, so important for both parents to have their money act together so you have that together i'm having trouble understanding why you're hemorrhaging money and giving it away so i encourage you to deal with that so friends i think that um if i were to go by my own experience when you've been in an emotionally abusive relationship You live a lie, you're always presenting a happy face to people, you're not forming real friendships. Like real friendships, it's not that you sit around and you had said trauma bond, and I just wanted to say, I know what you mean, that you both have been through trauma, you're going through trauma, you bonded over it, there's that. I think it needs a special word. Technically, trauma bond is intermittent reinforcement, where somebody blows hot and cold and you end up like totally hooked on them. And that's a trauma bond relationship. So that's that's for another video sometime. But I know what you mean, you know, you bonded with this woman over trauma. I don't know, it sounds like it, it was actually a great relationship. A great relationship begins with a great friendship of mutual support. And so who knows if she ever is available. Mm, you know, that could be, there. you know, somebody did show you real love there and I'm glad. But the friends thing is not going so well. And I think that you've been living a lie so long, you, you, you can't really, you know, I call it vibrating. <laughs> like somebody who really likes comedy, you know, when they do comedy, they vibrate. They're just like vibrant, they're happy, right? They're happy. And other people who like comedy, you find each other and you enjoy things together. You've been so suppressed in anything that you actually like that nobody can find you. And I think with your illness too, that tends to dim your light. You know, I call it a cab light. It's the light on that I'm available, I can be a friend, I can be a partner, um, I'm open for business, you know, but you, your light is dim right now because you're, you're, well, I think a lot of your energy is going into your ex. So sever that tie, you know, just have a legal relationship that's cooperative for the sake of the kids. Save that energy to let that light in you brighten so that your future friends and perhaps a partner can see you so that when they talk to you, they recognize common interests so that you're not just instantly going into this fake version of yourself with them. Yes, it will be messy at first, and that is okay. And some people will fall by the wayside. You'll lose old friends that you thought were there for you. You'll get new friends. Some of the new friends turn out to be shallow. Like, you know, we're not the greatest judges of character just right out of the gate when we're healing trauma. But it comes. It comes quickly. The two things that I really encourage you and anybody healing from, uh, you know, a great big traumatic abusive relationship is to find support with like-minded people who are also healing. That could be a 12-step group. It could be a a therapy group, but you know, when money is an object, I really endorse getting together in groups that are free, that are mutual support for people. Yes, there's no professional present, but 12-step groups are very well set up to sort of, provide a a container for people to give each other mutual support. And everybody, you know, you'll find people who will go, oh yeah, you know, somebody was terrible to me there, or they tried to pick me up. Of course, people are people, but you get to have boundaries now and you can freely associate with people without making them your savior, your higher power, you know, to hold them on a pedestal like they should know how to act. Like people who have troubles can help each other, but what you can expect from people who have troubles is sometimes they're troublesome, okay? It's okay. But 12-step groups, it's that, it's that community of love and healing that is there. And it's not just that. People who come just for social reasons don't tend to last very long or contribute much. It's You go in and you work a 12-step program. And I don't know what it is with you, maybe Codependence Anonymous, mm, something like that. Um, there are, uh, there's uh, ACA, Adult Children of Alcoholics, and other dysfunctional families that is a program that a lot of people really enjoy that program acknowledges uh, PTSD in people from abuse and neglect so just saying there are there are places out there you could go to you'd also be tremendously welcome in my membership program in my membership program we have courses we have webinars you get all this free you get access to this stuff that normally costs money you get the year membership and then you have access to all the courses all the webinars i do and you have access to group coaching calls i do every two weeks and free daily practice calls and i teach this thing called the daily practice if you do nothing if you don't want to spend a penny come take this free course i teach because it helps you to um, see and name the feelings, the negative feelings that are coming up and just let them go downstream. They just move on downstream, not pushing them down, not pretending they don't exist, not making them a problem in any way, but just naming them. There it is. And then it's a, it's a spiritual prayerful act of releasing them or asking them to be removed, to get a little freedom to just experience, reality within yourself for a little while before all the fearful resentful thoughts start raining down again they always do because we're human so it's a little way to just have some hygiene in your mind in the dark corners of those thoughts you know "Ah, everything's bad i'll never make it i can't have friends that stuff gets on paper Get a little space from it and then you have a little new idea you uh, find a power growing within to take action you get an inspired sense of you know what makes sense for you to do where are your friends then when you have less of that going on the bag of cats as i call it when you do make a friend then hanging out with you is cheerful relaxing uplifting meaningful and not just, um, you know, one stressed person getting together with another stressed person and relating about the hardship of it all. That counts, but I know what you're looking for is something to carry you to the next level and that is what friends can do. We do it for them, they do it for us. So I really encourage you, community and tools, tools that work for you. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my content,